This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Brass with Longleaf Fertilia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy. I use man, I use the hell out of the notepad app. The notepad app? Yeah, like that's where I keep like all my breeding records yeah, no. and like all my other stuff. Yeah, and I it's do been really thing. handy. I actually yeah. use the the notepad app on my phone at, at work for my work phone too. I literally put all my notes mm-hmm. in that. It's great. So much better than I like it. Writing stuff. Right. Like a nerd. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, anyways, well. this is episode one fifty one fifty nine of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I am Jacob Bratz, Longleaf Reptilia. I'm Justin Smith, Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this show was brought to you by BlackboxCages.com uh, or BlackboxCages. Uh, 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 oh, well, uh, where are we? Uh, wow, <laughs> yeah. Check them out. Best of the best. You want a cage? They can hook you up. You want a rack? They can hook you up. Super customizable in every way, shape, and form. You can add different heat zones in your racks. You have tons of different options for cagings, different sizes, different heating elements, different lights, whatever you want. They can make it happen, man. We will actually have, so we're we're currently in the planning stages of the next Snakes and Stogies raffle. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Which is going to be pretty freaking sweet. So we're going to have some actual animals in this one. We got one of the awesome custom tumbler things that Phil and I got made. Um, a Benchmade cigar cutter, which is pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. Uh, and a Bio-G from Black Box. So. Yeah. So get in on that if you want a t- little taste of Black Box. We're going to, I think we're planning lots to host that on the, on the website instead of Facebook. Yeah. Um, but that's mostly a so Zuckerberg doesn't shut it down, and then b, then we can extend that to all the people that aren't in the Snakes and Stogies group on Facebook, so we can raise more money that way. We can like people on Instagram can can hop in. Um, Where's the money going? The ASF. Nice. Currently, the Asclepius Snake Bite Foundation. Nice. Uh, me and Phil are still. He was supposed to call me today. That bitch. Uh, <laughs> And we're supposed to work out the details as far as like how many slots we want to do, what we want to set the price at, and sort of some of the other odds and ends, and then hopefully get it sort of up and running and going next week sometime. I'd like for it to be like new month, start it there, and so it's a ra- it's a raffle, right? Right. Okay. But we're gonna have a bunch of stuff. So I've got a list. I won't I won't disclose all of it because some of it is still unconfirmed, but. There's It'll some be good worth stuff it. on there. I've heard little dirty deets. Yes. You guys are not going to be disappointed. And if anybody is interested in donating of, anything, let me know. Yeah. And we will add it. It may not, it doesn't have to necessarily be this raffle because it won't be the, it's not the first and it's not going to be the last. So Dude, if you don't put like a frame, like foot picture up your feet, that's just a little weird. You should do it now, dude. I don't. I don't it's think a so. it's a running joke now at this point. I don't. Want, you need to do it. Somebody will buy it. That's horrible. 
So blackboxcages.com. Check them out. <laughs> yeah, back to uh, BioGs are awesome. If you've seen the YouTube video, that's what I got my rhino rats in and one of my chondros, and I freaking love them. The Barons is going to go yeah. in one at some point. They're fantastic, they're like in between gates like that. You're, they're too big to they, for a rack, but they're not so big you need them in something like a three or four foot cage. You know, that BioG is just right on the money. It's perfect. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then Steve's Snakeshuary and his yes. Venom Hot Sauce. Check it out. Um, Steve does a lot of educating of the public, uh, rescues, rehabilitation, all kinds of awesome stuff. He's even got these cool like playing cards. Yeah, which I thought like, that those were really cool. It's like a field guide almost, where like each animal has a card, but they're like <laughs> color coded by you know if they're dangerous or not. And, he needs to do that. It's really like cool with, to just yeah. keep in a backpack or something. Yeah, no, they're they're awesome, man. So check really, those out. I really like that idea. And then check out his Venom Hot Sauce. It's amazing. We've tried all of them. They're all good. Cottonmouth Sauce is two of our personal favorites. Yeah. It's great stuff. You can put it on all types of goodies. Make you real happy. Kick things up a notch. You know, a little, give, a, give a little kick in your life. It'd be great metaphorical kick if you want to see somebody else try a video check out jeff and kendra with Peach South yeah Mountains. they've they done did, like two of them they now. did a video yeah they did two videos with steve sanctuary's venom hot sauce so check that out have to talk to him about some in the raffle yeah oh you know no, we've no, we've done good. like auctions for the for this the whole like set in the past with southeast carpet fest and stuff and those got a lot of bit like there was a lot of people bidding on them yeah Cause they're great. They, it's perfect. You cool. get uh, you get hot sauce, and then when you're done, you get a nice little bottle with a cool picture of a snake on it. Who doesn't like stuff with snakes on it? We all do. Don't lie to yourself. We all like stuff with snakes on it. Yeah. So when you're done, you get a cool little cool little piece to put up on your mantle. Yes. So check you're out welcome. both. Uh, I always forget to mention it, but we do have a Patreon. Join it. Don't join it. We're happy either way. It, it exists. It's there. That's all we're going to say about it. Not big on pushing the Patreon. But for those that are like, how can I help? That's a, the best I mean, way aside to from just listening to us babble each week, dot less of the dollar a month is the starting tier, and you can go up from there. So uh, I think Phil and I have two aux talked about somehow figuring out a way to include Patreons in the raffle to where they somehow if I guess at, if they're at a certain tier, they get a like an entry automatically if you're a Patreon. But I have not confirmed that with him yet, so we are working on it. So just an idea. We're kicking Ooh. around. We're trying to find ways to help give the Patreon folks some little extra something. But uh, we have yet to have any sort of formal conversation about that. So we're working on it. Phil has been stupid busy lately. Honestly, like really haven't talked to him much outside of Mondays. So. He's working a lot. He's I don't know what's going on. He's something. He's mm. just always busy. But <clears throat> it's neither here that, nor there. I feel that because this is THP number one fifty nine, and we are joined this week by Mister TJ Chambers of Chambers Serpents. Let's go, hey guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks dude. for coming on. Yeah, uh, things are going good. How are, how's everything with you guys? Same old, same old. I just got moved into the snake room. Smitty's over here getting pre-lay sheds, you know, the, all the goods. Ooh. All the goods. Everything except eggs. 
Yeah. <laughs> right now, as, as it stands. You're never going to get eggs. I, I'm, you you know, I don't know if it's <laughs> just, just me. I'm just kidding, buddy. Or if it's literally like, it seems like a longer wait, but um, it's, it's. It good. always seems long, man. We're going on like a week and a half, coming up on two weeks after a prelay shed from this this Ladies Island female corn, and I'm like in the morning checking the box. It's when it's about home, checking two, the box. It's about two weeks. It is, but it feels like it's been a month. Yeah, I know. I'm just like just just put the eggs in the damn basket. Put the eggs in the box. Damn it. Yeah, two so. weeks for corns is the around about the okay yeah, week, cool. week or two weeks. It kind of varies, I think. Awesome. Um, so how, it's going to be one of those things where I have no eggs, and then all of a sudden, within like the same week, I'm going to have like eight clutches. All the eggs. Right. <laughs> yeah. So not the worst problem to have. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not, but it's just that hurry up and wait period where like yeah. you, you've paired stuff you <laughs> then, know you're they're gonna, holding. then you're gonna go from no babies to then, all the babies and then, well, I mean, it's one thing to have eggs in the incubator but it's one thing when you bred them now you're waiting on them to be you know become gravid then you get the prelay shed or you're waiting for them to have that and then they do and then you're like okay like the dion's i looked at the calendar this morning i think because she looks like she's about to freaking explode and i think there's another at least a week before she's going to drop probably more like two maybe two and a half so i don't know thorn scrubs i don't think went but it's still early i may pair them up again later yeah. uh by i can't really tell what's going on with her because she hasn't shed yet either but she looks like she's holding so it's just i don't know i don't know <laughs> what i'm doing you're in that that stage of your breeding season where yeah. you're questioning everything and then you'll just... be just scoring and scoring oh, and scoring. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. I so far only have... I got the clutch of albino Darwins. Nice. They have like a, a week more of incubation uh, so far. Things are looking good. Uh, but I'm expecting some pips hopefully next week. Nice. But we'll see. But I'm stoked nice. on those. But other than that, I, uh, I'm still getting uh, locks from my... I'm gonna say this with hard quotations. My <laughs> my Wamina scrubs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got um, a 1.2 of those, and the male's locked with both. They're actually in. So they're in these cages behind me. I got you. Those are uh, that's a closet that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be a homeowner. That's um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I just ripped everything out of that closet and it's, um, actually got, let's see, one, two, three, four cages. And then there's, oh, wow. And then there's tubs beneath where I just kind of store stuff. I was originally like, uh, I think they're like a 48 quart somewhat arboreal tub. I was keeping Amazons in there for a while, but now, I just I don't have the Amazons. I uh, gave them to a friend, and so uh, now I just store stuff in there. But there's also right here is where the dividing section is. Mm-hmm. When I built this, uh, there's actually a dividing door that I open up, and they can kind of have free range to go hang out with each other, um, and. You froze. Frozen, frozen in time. Let, Let it go. go. 
If you're a parent, you know the rest of that song. I I don't know the rest of that song. Mm. I'm not a parent now. So. TJ froze up. We're waiting. Please stand by. TJ. Beep. Thought I heard him for a second. Bark twice. Bark oh. twice if you're in Milwaukee. Bark. <laughs> oh, oh. Now he's a little bit, <laughs> little grainy. You're popping it's, in. It's slowly coming back. He's working fine. on it. Shoot. It's trying. There we go. All right. Am I back? It's coming back. It's, yeah. coming. it's trying. You guys just slowly keep kind of talking. Let me know when it's clear. And I'll just. I think you guys actually. No, you guys are clear on my end. We're clear on you. Yeah, I don't know. Streamer's yeah. been like really squirrely lately. Like yeah, the last geez. week or so, I've noticed it's been having more issues than normal. Should I try to back out and come back in? Or? No, I think you're good no. now. Yeah, there you go. You just cleared out. <laughs> okay. Hopefully that yeah, stays you, like that. You were talking yeah. about the, you take out the dividers and let them do their thing? Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's just like a, I made a little wooden door on a hinge mm -hmm. that I open and I'll shut it. But um, the scrubs are pretty, or at least everything I have when it comes to food, they're crazy oh, striking yeah. at like, yeah. so when I'm, whenever I'm thawing out rodents or if I am feeding anything in the room, I have to separate them. So um, I, I kind of pick and choose when I open that door, depending on if I'm going to be feeding other things. But um, I just started getting locks after doing introductions since November and the mail just now started kind of kicking into gear. Hmm. Um, I'm seeing some swelling out of one of the females. The other female is still acting like she wants food. Um, so um, I'm probably going to keep separating and feeding her. Um, but yeah, kind of just trial and error with those guys. Uh, getting closer uh, than I was last year, but they really had a whole year to kind of settle in this cage. I got them at the beginning of 2020. And, uh, since then I, they came into me, uh, kind of in bad shape. Uh, so I had like a three month period of kind of getting them back on track. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I started, uh, basically that was about when I started building my collection at that point again. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it took like two years for them to finally, I think, kick in and uh, male start showing interest because he really didn't care. Yeah. They would hang out. He they would hang out and they're actually really communal. Is what I found. Um, like they have eight feet of cage by five feet high and they will all just all three, the two females and the male uh, just hang out in the same spot. And it's not like they're competing for heat source or anything because I uh, I do all ambient. So mm -hmm. I just heat I heat the room. So the whole cage is pretty much the same temperature. So mm -hmm. I don't see it as like competing for um, for resources or anything like that. They just right. kind of seem communal. Yeah. So what I'm at the point now, just so you know, so I know. that I'd like the whole how'd you get into reptiles thing i'm like axing it so mm -hmm. instead i'm gonna say what were you keeping initially and what made you transition into morelia and somalia because that's what you're mostly keeping now right yeah i've got a couple oddball things i've got a cuban boa which is one of the coolest snakes nice. 
oh man he's a psychopath but uh <laughs> really cool there's a local guy who breeds a bunch of caribbean boas uh his name is steve woodward really low-key guy but um if you guys have ever seen a like pandas fauna posting uh jamaican yeah, boas i want to get him on the show at some point too that dude's a oh, trip so he's got a bunch of stuff from steve um i think he um may have just got four die um or yeah, maybe that did. was dustin yeah so yeah. Um, there's a really low-key guy here in arizona that breeds jamaican boas and caribbean boas and four die and um all the weird caribbean mm -hmm. boa stuff um so i'm on a list for a female for my male um and then i'm trying to get some jamaicans but yeah i'm i'm hoping to get some jamaicans at some point this year too we'll, we'll see uh, I'm not, i love I'm them not putting any eggs in a basket or anything like that but well when did that happen? when did you start thinking about jamaican boys they're awesome when, when we had get, that article done for the magazine dude i've been that's when jamaican i was like boys, okay those are pretty cool yeah dude uh, yeah. i don't know that i i don't know that i necessarily want to breed them though um like i feel like it might that might be one of those species where like if i just get one i'm good just because I can enjoy I'm kind of like that with the Cuban. There's the whole sort of red tape and stuff of like you can't sell them and you got to have some sort of documentation and stuff. So it's like I may just not want to jump through all that and maybe just get one and enjoy it and just have it. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. It's perfectly okay. But uh, I kind of sidetracked. Uh, but yes, I primarily keep scrubs and uh, so Somalia and Morelia. Um, I guess what got me to to this point um, when I was when I was younger, it started out with field herping and I started with like just an assortment of whatever I could get. And I my older sisters started dating this guy. I'll give him a shout out. Ryan Cook. Um, he was kind of one of the first people that really pushed my interest in the hobby mm -hmm. but when i was in uh, like seventh grade my older sister's like yo you got to come to my boyfriend's house he's got a snake room and he had a white lip python there and i've to this day i've never been bit by a snake more than that snake bit me <laughs> there you go kid reach in there and grab him for me yeah yeah it was but i love to prove your manhood <laughs> oh yeah got worked every time but um i I love that snake and it really kind of uh, pushed my passion um, into that direction of like the obscure species. And so the first snake I went and bought myself was an Amazon uh, when I was in like eighth grade, I think. Um, so this is a long time ago and I kind of kept random stuff, um, got into carpets. And when I was kind of building a collection, maybe like 10 years ago, I was building all my own cages and I would um, I would kind of build a new one, sell the old one on Craigslist. And this guy hit me up and was like, Hey, would you trade that cage, which I was trying to sell for 200 bucks for a scrub Python? And I was like, I've never even heard of that. So I was, I looked him up on King snake. They're going like three, 400 bucks. I was like, that seems like a fair trade. Looks like a cool snake. I had no idea how big it was. I um, this is when I was about 19 years old. Um, so I go to this guy's house and he had a 10 plus, probably more like 11 foot um, Southern Meraki scrub in a 40 gallon breeder. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that thing was probably pretty pissed. It's not a, oh, not a happy it was, animal. It was, and I instantly just felt terrible for it. So I was like, put this thing in my car right now. And I brought a small box, like, <laughs> like a, a six cord shoe box. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cardboard. <laughs> Oh and God! <laughs> he didn't let me take the the forty gallon tank, and so this ten plus foot scrub. So its face was all messed up from striking. Yeah. He was he was like, "Yeah, man, I'll like walk by and he'll just strike at the lid, and it's like a mesh top lid." And so his Oof. face was mangled. I just felt so bad for this snake. So I was like, "Let me get this thing home," and it busted out of the cardboard box in the car. Which, of course, uh, <laughs> of course, yeah, I should have known. And so, uh, driving down the road, emergency pull over to the side of the road to jam the snake back into a box. But I got this snake home, and I didn't really know much about them. Um, maybe an irresponsible move on my part, but I loved snakes, and I kept at that point. I had like brettles, and I had lots of carpets and white lit pythons. I kind of started park, yeah, yeah, building weird stuff. And uh, so at this point, I started researching scrubs and I found Morelia Python forums. And I fell in love with everything about the forums. I miss them so much. Uh, and I don't know if you guys were around for that period. Yeah, I was I, yeah. I was a lurker on there. I didn't post a whole yeah. lot, but I definitely I, scanned it periodically. And Yeah, I never said I just lurked really hard, but I learned a ton in that time. And I was mostly just trying to get a little bit of help on how to manage this snake while I was Mm -hmm. uh, because he was huge. He was so mean uh, while I was like trying to get him back into good condition. And so I came across a guy that had tons of scrubs um, and his name is Evan Aramble. he goes by Dr. Arroyo on Instagram. And sounds familiar. Yeah. Field, field Herper. He's one of the, he, I mean, that guy's an amazing photographer, an amazing pers- person. I can't say enough good things about Evan. So Evan at the time bought um, a bunch of scrubs from like David Prada had gotten out of scrubs. Mm-hmm. David Means sold his collection and Evan bought them. And Evan lived in uh, Southern Arizona, like uh, right on the border of Mexico. And so he hit me up and is like, dude, come down here. I'll kind of show you my scrubs, give you a rundown, um, show you how I work with them. And we can also go look for some rattlesnakes. And I had no idea that I was, like being taken under the wing of someone who was so knowledgeable, so smart and just so kind. And I, uh, I can't thank Evan enough. So I'm going to give Evan a huge shout out. Everyone should go follow Dr. Arroyo for the best photography photos. He's great, but yeah, I'm so fairly much- certain I follow him and yeah, the photography is just insane. Just, and that so guy knows, he knows so much. He's so smart. And, uh, he had like 20 to 30 scrubs at the time and he had wow. um yeah this scrub collection was no joke and i don't know if you guys are familiar uh or i'm i mean, i know you guys are familiar with stephen kush but he talks about a snake a lot of the time that has uh rain blood in it and he ref- um he's got a couple snakes in his collection that um are uh offspring of an animal called rain and rain mm-hmm was a vpi produced bar neck that was like 15 feet 
an absolute monster. Um, when I saw that snake in person to this day, he's the best looking Barnack I've ever seen. And so I got to, I got to work with that animal got to see him in person. And, um, he had another scrub there, which was actually rain's clutch mate. Um, and her name is Azcadelia and she was completely different looking than rain. Mm-hmm. And it really made me, and they were captive born and bred. They, I don't know. Exa- so they had them labeled as Jaya animals. Mm. I think that that came out as a mistake and a mislabel at some point because I, I I don't know exactly what the real locality of those animals were, but they were clutch mates that were completely different looking. And so that really kind of opened my eyes to like what I don't think we have any idea on locality stuff. If mm-hmm. these like they were completely different color, completely different pattern. One is exact like rain was kind of what you would call like a manaquari type, like heavy banding but like really reduced and kind of a light and then the clutch mate as cadelia was like sarong just like bold pattern really dark um and she was i think 18 feet jesus yeah Holy um, shit. so um i thought i loved snakes before i met evan but when I got to Evan's house for the his apartment for the first time, he lived in a two bedroom apartment with the only two bedrooms had scrub pythons in them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I moved in and I brought all my snakes with me. And <laughs> so um, we slept on the floor in the living room and we went field herping every single day and we found Willard Eye and all that stuff. But um that was a that was a good time period um and really uh kind of secured my love for scrub pythons getting to see because he had tannin bars he had mm-hmm. moluccans he had everything uh not halmaheros um but he just had all all that stuff a ruse um and this was around 2012 to 2014 ish um but getting to go down there and see all those snakes and work with them um just really passion for scrubs and evan also bred like uh brettles pythons and um so i really got firsthand experience um getting to see a dude hatch out stuff and get things feeding and uh see how someone with experience works with big constrictor snakes and Mm -hmm. i've really tried to take that into like i i use a lot of what he taught me with like the transfer tubs and and all that kind of stuff but um but yeah, so long-winded way of saying that's really what got me into into scrub pythons. The carpets, I can't even really say. It, they've been like kind of a staple in what I've been keeping since I was a kid. And they I've just kind of showed up one day. They just showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now, uh, so after I lived with Evan for that time period, um, I kind of had an opportunity to get back into music and... I sold off my collection and did the music thing. And I played drums for a while, um, got my bands to the point of touring and we were doing that. And then COVID hit and oh, um, right. Yeah. Right before COVID, I even was kind of thinking like, man, now that I know, like, if we're going to go on tour, it's going to be just a couple of weeks. Like I could leave a snake at home yeah. for a couple <laughs> weeks. That's not a big deal. And so I, uh, right at the end of 2019 i started looking for 
to build mission again. And uh, I didn't think I was going to get in as deep as I did, but you guys know how that goes. Oh yeah. I'm just going to get one. And then I, so I got a, I got a big IJ carpet for my first one coming back in a West pop one carpet for the good choice. Good choice. Yeah. I like those guys. And uh, long leave approved. (laughs) Yeah. Good. And so I thought it was a female and I got home and it shed sperm plugs and I probed it and it was a, a male that's like gargantuan a monster male way too big bigger than any female carpet I've got um, and so he's basically a pet he's the most laid back uh, my wife does a burlesque show and I've even allowed her to like you have the performers use that snake on stage so he's the one pet snake that probably is never going to get bred to anything but um so I bought that snake and then I got a Craigslist scrub python for 200 bucks and <laughs> that was a Meraki. Um, and uh, then I got a, a female to go with, with him shortly after. And then I got my uh, trio of Wamina and that really, uh, that was the last scrub python purchase that was at the old prices and then COVID hit before, <laughs> and, yeah, before it all went to shit. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah. damn it! Like, what did I do? I waited too long to get back into this. Like, I was, I, I bought the the trio of adults uh, for a thousand bucks. Oh wow! Yeah, and so now it's yeah, a pretty good deal yeah right ridiculous when <laughs> i don't know that i would have turned that down yeah either. i was off i was offered a granted it was captive bread but i was offered a captive bread southern for 1200 and i was like nah i'm, I'm good yeah like, See, the thing is the pricing has gone crazy yeah, and and so as someone who loved them when they were really cheap and was buying them all I could. It's just like, oh man, it's really soul crushing. Cause I, yeah, I mean, I have 10 scrubs right now. I'm probably good. I don't think I need any more. Um, I have, uh, the three, uh, Wamina nor I have so, I have so much issue with using that term. Um, and so, and then I don't even want to use Jaya anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because for those, for that locality, I've had uh, some conversations with Nick Mutton about it. Um, I don't know if he wants anything being said, but he's working on some reclassification within that genus. So I'm sure it's a lot like chondros where I'm sure there's a ton of there's cryptic diversity there that, you know, if, if Daniel Natouche found all these differences in the chondros, I have very little doubt that it's a very similar scenario with a lot of the scrubs and stuff too exactly i mean just if you look at the uh the wamina type scrub i mean you can tell that it's something different from everything else in that northern region it comes from and they kind of like size wise they stay a little on the smaller side i know that anecdotally you can get a scrub massive almost any scrub you can get a tannin bar to 12 feet if you wanted to but um there's just like I, for them to still be called, not that I'm like huge on splitting and stuff, but, um, the way I look at, I try to compare carpet Python and scrub Python stuff in a lot of ways where it's like, if we are calling a Darwin carpet, something different from a coastal and 
um, and we've got all these different things. Look at a, a Wamina scrub and then look at a Southern and then look at a Highland and look at a Barnick and they're all Amethystina. And I don't think that's just a, an instance of localities mm-hmm. making them look different because a lot of them share the same ranges. Like though you will, you'll probably find Barnecks where you might find the, uh, Wamina. Mm-hmm. type scrub and so i wouldn't say that like those are different because of localities it seems like they are somewhat of a different species um but that's yeah i my, wouldn't be that's surprised one bit if there was if there was a handful of subspecies buried in there somewhere you know i think there's got to be i mean uh there's just a lot of differences you see and then but then again this wamina type supposedly has a range that's 800 miles across the northern coast Mm -hmm. and um and you can within that whole 800 miles you can tell you could pick those animals out from the barnecks and from whatever else you might find within that range so there's definitely kind of like with with chondros like the guys that kept chondros for a long time were like look at like yeah we already know this yeah we know (laughs) we know but then there there's just kind of like the uh the battle between now what do you do mm-hmm. kind of thing is like okay so and that's kind of i guess a weird spot with the scrubs is when i was in it a long time ago um the guys that so yacht yasser mm-hmm. mustafa from spitfire he was like he's a guy i really looked up to in the mp days because he was he was breeding scrubs. He was doing like the locality pure stuff, but he was also crossing stuff to see what like some of these pattern morphs would do. Right. See and yeah. And uh, it pissed so many people off. Well, I'm sure. And, and yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And so, so many people were mad about it and all this stuff. And uh, the way that I look at it is like at the end of the day, how many, so of the pure stuff, non-locality crosses that Spitfire produced, how many of them are still around? Like people mm-hmm. didn't, people didn't take his stuff, his pure locality, captive born and bred babies and continue the lineage. So they talked about how like, you're going to ruin all this stuff with crossing and muddy the gene pool. It's like not if else can breed his, those snakes. Yeah. And, and so we're, we're still at a point where no one's getting like regular clutches. Um, seems like David means was one of the guys, uh, for a while that could get a couple clutches a season. Um, but he's back out of it again. Yeah. 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 Um, but Ryan, look, Ryan Young has some, stuff Oh yeah. Like I don't know if he's... Ryan Young can breed anything. <laughs> he's got the magic touch. He got Timor eggs. I, I, someone, mm-hmm. if, if I ever got Bolin's pythons, I would send them to him. Yeah, <laughs> if anyone can crack the code. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think the, the, the one thing, like what separates the whole, in terms of crossing stuff, like with Condros, the saving grace is designers. You know, it's like, okay, we're hybridizing subspecies. It's like, yeah, we kind of knew that and we don't care because they all look awesome anyways. We'll mix them into <laughs> oblivion and it doesn't matter because a gorgeous snake's going to come out the other end no matter what we do. Right. Scrubs is a little different because you don't have that factor. You know, it's like... Well, you kind of do in a way of like, you don't get the sickness and right. you don't get the mosaic. But right. 
um spitfire produced some crosses of barnecks that were almost all black like evan had one as an adult in the lower probably and so you'll see it a lot in babies and barnecks where they have like a really dark lower half but it'll kind of lighten up as they get older and some banding might start showing through this snake was black from like didn't lawrence have something similar to that uh, Lawrence like really, yeah i thought he had like a really dark one too but i would i, couldn't I think i think he may have um he's been super low-key for the past little yeah. bit yeah yeah, yeah i haven't seen much from him um i know he had uh you might be thinking of his b uh Beox, though oh he had, yeah he had Beox scrubs and those are very dark just like mm-hmm. their souls because everything from that island is just <laughs> evil satanic yeah, he's actually one of the only people that I've ever bred captive Beox scrub pythons. Yeah, they're I think very, so. Not there. I've never not seen common. any for sale. They, you don't like. I don't. I don't know how. I don't strange, know where he got his. But all like, you get all the condors. Eighty percent of the condors in the trade yeah. come from Beox, but it's like scrubs are just like yeah, no. Nope. You'll see like one pair every ten years. That's what you get. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Kush has um, a pair, at least, of Beox. Okay. Um, and I want to say it's Chris Foley, who's still part of the Amethystina project, because right, it was yeah. him, him and David him Means, and David. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm pretty sure he posted not too long ago that he got a Beox just off Morph, Morph Market, priced, yeah, as like a, priced as like a Southern, like Meraki type animal. And everyone slipped on it, but he's got got the eye he knew right away he's like oh that's not yeah, normal yeah. let's get that shipped here <laughs> yeah. thank you yeah yep. I'll, I'll take that yeah All i mean right. it wouldn't surprise you could tell me that that des and steven have a freaking chupacabra in the facility somewhere and i'd probably believe it you know, exactly. like, yeah i'm sure they do like they've they've got all kinds they've of cool got, stuff so. yeah it's insane we've got a unicorn we got a chupacabra one of them skinwalkers hanging out in the back <laughs> I, I believe it Yep. I think uh, the future of Scrubs is probably we're probably in a good point having someone like Steven um, being the guy with the biggest collection out there. Like, you know, he's a long haul guy. Um, he's dedicated. He's smart. Mm-hmm. He's a hardworking dude. If he can run a rodent facility, um, he's got a lot of work ethic, I'd say. Yeah. And and especially at the scale that he does. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that we might be um we might be at a point where the future is kind of starting to look bright for some of this stuff um we're starting to get clutches from like i mean nick muttons had i think two or three uh clutches of the wamina scrub and Mm -hmm. same with ryan young um we uh marsh is it marcel hawkins is yeah, the, yep. the kid who bred Moluccans. Yep. Hell yeah. So uh we're starting to get some more stuff out there. I think with I think someone like Steven running the charge is gonna do big things. Um and I like his mindset too, because he does have the mindset of uh being okay with with crossing stuff, like there's room for that within the hobby. Um, if everybody just does the same thing, like no one's being an individual, like um, I like 
I like open-mindedness with people and I don't like people being super dogmatic about mm -hmm. a particular thing. So if you're like super heavy on one fence or one side of the fence as like a purist or a strictly crosses or whatever it may be, I kind of get a little bit of a red flag by that. And everything I've heard Stephen Cush say has been like, okay, cool. You got, you've got a great outlook on this. And so I think that's good for the future of the hobby. Having someone. Yeah. Like I mean, they've got, the resources for it that's for sure i mean they're, they're in a prime position to be able to to have a you know a larger collection of those and be able to to experiment with things and, and see what happens and and do it so i mean if there's anybody that that's in that prime spot it's it's definitely definitely him yeah for yeah sure. but what's i mean what's the disconnect though in terms of like why is breeding so inconsistent like i'm i'm not a scrub by, scrub guy i had my my tannin bar for a little while he's got one so I, maybe you both know like what's the what's not adding up like what's why are eggs so such an infrequent thing to me i think it's um it, it's like any other uh species you that's really successful in the hobby now in their early days ball pythons used okay. to be a hard exactly. species to breed retics used to be a hard species to breed i think with scrubs what what makes them particularly more difficult is the the attitude the size and i think that a lot of people so i i might have a kind of a different mindset uh, about i don't really handle any of my scrubs um the i try to think about snake intelligence in a way of like i think the scrubs are smart i think yeah. they're smart yeah. animals yeah yeah 100 yeah, right too, um, too smart <laughs> yeah so i think that i think that carpet pythons are pretty smart too but i don't think they're as smart as scrubs for sure agree. yeah no, absolutely not but i have carpet pythons i have one pain in the ass right now that won't eat a rat will eat. My i can wash a rat's sent it with mice and she just knows you can is it a darwin can, or an ij it's a caramel zebra jag head albino. <laughs> all right head albino there it is it's got darwin in it i knew it everything yeah. i knew it yeah perfect neapolitan don't say that i've got 16 darwins in the incubator right now that i'm gonna have oh, to get God. feeding soon that evil on just him. get them on right. mice <laughs> so um mike i have a carpet that is a jag that's able to tell the difference between a mouse and a rat and i know a lot of people that you can take two a mouse and a rat the same size show them and they probably can't even tell you which is it's. so i think there's a little bit of intelligence in identifying something there and i right. i feel like if those carpet pythons are able to identify the difference between something so subtle Surely a scrub python can recognize a threat and probably recognize a person, probably, especially since so many of them are imports. To me, I imagine that scrubs are so wound up and they pee everywhere because a person grabbed them out of a tree and shoved them in a bag and then a person pulled them out and a person has a smell like... Yeah. And, and we, we, so the, I think they're able to identify a person and maybe not individuals, but they're probably like the last time this giant mucky last time I smelled came, this, this came near me, 
I got thrown in a bag, thrown in a, a pl- on five different planes, and now I'm in a box in America. And so to me, there's probably that intelligence that they have is something that causes them to have that attitude, that defensiveness, and then the the musking and the peeing on you is probably i would say one of the the downfalls of keeping a scrub because um, but i get away f- with that by not messing with them mm-hmm. yeah. um even my small scrubs and racks um i real quick i use like these yep mm-hmm. and they stay in those pretty much all the time so friend night they'll come out but i can do a paper change mm-hmm. like so i have these attached to the side of just a cb70 to where it's on the side they can hide in it they can even get on top but i can put a piece of paper clean the tub without having to touch them oh yeah that's smart and um think because when i do when i do have to have where it's like oh, i gotta clean out your tube i'm gonna scrub your scrub the tub down uh give it a full sanitation um when i pull them out you see the crazy tail wagging you see mm-hmm. that and i don't like that's that's putting your animal through stress like I, to me that's to freak something out to the point of evacuating its bowels like i can't imagine snakes in in the wild are just like musking all the yeah. time yeah. Like I can't. I imagine at least not pretty, without being grabbed by. Yeah, something. they're being exactly. they're being attacked if they musk. That, like that's the when wild. they do it. Yeah. So I see it as a bad thing, and I don't want them to do that because I see it as like fuck. Or sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. No, no you're uh, fine. <laughs> I'm like, man, I I just stressed you out by just trying to do some maintenance. And I freaked you out so much that you peed on the ground and Mm -hmm. you peed all over the side of your tub. Like, I don't like doing that. So to me, I look at them as like how you're supposed to respect the animal. Like, yeah, it's not not into it. It's not into it. It's not into it. And I've, I've got some snakes that, again, probably don't love being held, but they definitely tolerate it a lot better than scrubs. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think nowadays, um, scrubs became that kind of uh there's a certain mysticism to them with the and there it almost became one of those things where it's like a flex to be able to have to be able to hold a scrub and have it out and hanging hanging out doing whatever i i think things like that kind of like holding them into submission and kind of getting them to be like oh my god i just have to be okay with this right just kill me man it's probably one of those things that's keeping uh scrubs from producing regularly because they're they're stress they're wild a lot of them are wild caught if you have a captive born and bred animal i would say that's a little different like that thing wasn't plucked out of the wild and i can't imagine the stress of from when they're when they're grabbed in the wild to when they get here it has got to be like five different plane rides all these like dehydration like crazy yeah. like and so to take that animal and be like now i'm gonna tame you um is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is, is for me it's not how i want to do it if you want to do that with your scrubs you're, that's totally fine um it in my opinion it might affect how often you're breeding it or how how often you get eggs 
I don't know that for sure because I've never bred scrubs. But in my mind, the way I'm trying to approach it, I'm trying to stay really hands off to keep the stress level down. Because to yeah. me, that's the most important thing. I mean, Halmahara scrubs used to drop dead all the time for no reason. Um, you kind of a weird roundabout thing. You mentioned Skinwalkers a second ago. Did you watch the new Skinwalker Ranch documentary? I haven't. I've seen it like on the okay. <laughs> on the apps and stuff, but I haven't watched it yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna tie this into snakes. Um, so there <laughs> they they had a cow on the property that just died. And they brought a vet in and the vet cut it open. And it's like, looks like it's got pneumonia from stress. And it happened within like three or four days. Uh, like the, the pathogens to create ammonia are in the, in that snake already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the, when the snake's immunity level drops because of how, or in whatever, um and the cow drops that can take over really quickly and i think that's what was happening with halmahara scrubs because now people seem to have them figured out i think that um as far as like bringing them in they're not dropping yeah, dead like they used to right. yeah and so i mean i think it's probably just stress it was mm-hmm. a lot to do with it so i take a lot of that type of stuff to heart of like i i feel kind of somewhat of a responsibility owning these snakes um because they're they are so rarely bred that it's one of those things where it's like i like if i had bolens pythons i would send them probably to someone who could actually do something to help the species um i kind of feel a little bit of a responsibility owning these scrubs to do well by them not just bring more snakes in to die because no reason because i wanted scrubs for a little bit so I'm just trying to keep the stress level down. Um, all my scrub cages that are breeding size, um, I have one over this way. So there's like a there's like a tube that connects two cages vertically okay. on the inside. So I when they're in their hides, whoop, whoop, open it up. They have access. I don't have to bring the snakes out. Um, so for me that that that's just been like a a huge thing but i see a lot of people are doing that like tunnel access thing in cages now and uh, i've thought about doing it with some of my stuff yeah i see brandon wheeler um is doing it i think he's another guy who's probably gonna have good success with scrubs seems uh seems dedicated he's uh he's been doing it for a long time he already had one clutch but um he's also doing those things like trying to keep the stress down by creating the bridges between the cages. And I think doing little things like that um, in the long run is going to do big things for the species. So I think we're on an uphill mm-hmm. kind of, I would yeah, say. Oh, for sure. Even, and it's, there's a lot of parallels between, you know, scrubs and chondros. And I guess it's, it's really no surprise considering that they occupy the same areas, but like I was always, told or had heard that if you get like an import adult female like you don't plan on breeding her for at least like that first year she's in captivity mm-hmm. just because there is that time to adjust and so i think there's a similarity there um you know like the the ganyasoma that i have that's another species where it's like they just don't like to be messed with and so i leave them alone like i got a small clutch of eggs out of them eggs were no good but regardless like they are doing stuff and so it is a step in the right direction i don't ever see them like they're really cool snakes i love them to death 
I usually see a head for about five seconds and then they're gone. Right. Um, but that's like one of those species where it's like, I'm not going to open the cage, pull stuff out, like check on them constantly. Like I'm going to let them do their thing. And I think that is a big key to the success with those is like, you just leave them alone. Uh, <clears throat> and then I think the big factor too is, especially with chondros or scrubs or even, you know, Ganyasoma too, is like if you, the younger you get them, the more successful you're, you're going to be with them. You know, imported yeah. adults and that, and that don't seem imports. to ever yeah. fully adjust in my opinion. Like, that male green tree that I have that I got as an adult, like he's never chilled out. He's going to be a prick his entire life. And like, I've accepted that it is what it is, but it's any of the other imports I've gotten in, they were young. And as they've grown up, they've, they've been completely fine. Like attitude wise, no issues. But I think it is when you bring in those adult animals. And especially if you're looking at like bigger scrubs, I think that it's never going to fully sort of adjust to captivity like yeah it's also come a long way but there's also the difference of it even if it's younger there's also the difference of it being wild caught versus you know farm bred you know if it was hatched on the farm and tomato tomato you know there's you're gonna have that <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i get but, i just think that's like with the a lot of people that that fail with ganyasoma like they get adults in that are fresh imports they're stressed as hell they're they're worm ridden yeah. they try to do too much too soon as far as treatment and stuff and they don't get them hydrated give them time to just chill out and settle some before they start pumping you know chemicals into them to kill things and it's it's just one of those things it's like that's that's just a group that just requires you to put them in the dark and leave them be and keep the interaction minimal even after they've acclimated like just just let them do their thing yep you know yeah I uh I subscribe to that method pretty hardly. So it's uh keep hands off. I mean I I handle snakes on cleaning days, primarily like the carpets. I'll pull them out cuz the carpets are really they're fine. Right. Um right. but uh yeah, the scrubs, I got all the cages set up to where I can clean all their cages without taking them out aside from uh maybe if I've got a I have one animal in particular back here and there, a, a big female that if she's like out head facing me, like they don't hide. Um, right. They just stay out on the shelf pretty much all the time, yeah. but I can kind of pick my battles. I'll open it. And uh, <laughs> if they're facing me, I'm going to probably not try to reach yeah. in where their heads at my head height. Um, yeah, but that's a, a heat seeking missile the boy. Reach they've got. Hey, no, sir. Yeah. Hey, so no, nowhere in that cage is safe. Right. I don't care how big it is. You go in that thing. It don't matter. It yep. don't matter. Yeah. And they have uh, just like really good accuracy. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. I haven't oh, been. Yeah. <laughs> when they throw, they mean it. Yeah. Like, they they don't mess around. Yeah. Runs. It's like, uh, I'm going to get you and I'm going to try really hard if I don't. I yeah. like At some point. You're going to get got. Yep. yep. And I've been got by one scrub that was like seven feet back in the day. It wasn't, wasn't anything too crazy, but that was enough for me to be like, ah, I got to be much more careful with <laughs> doing this stuff. Dude, uh, I had, I had like a four foot and you know, a four foot scrub doesn't seem like a four foot scrub because they're, you know, they're so long and slender. So, you know, it's not, it doesn't seem that big. That sucker reached out and got me on the like the fat of my thigh one time. Oh God, that was Jake that, doesn't handle his was, scrub. His scrub handles him. Yeah, no, because that's how I am with him. I don't, I don't mess with him, and he's just 
he just does his thing, you know. But he's yeah, he's a prick. He's terrible. But yeah, I know he grabbed me by the fat of my leg that one time, and it was that showed me showed me they had they had a they had a good bite. I just had to look at pictures and know that it was a a, a no no for me. Yeah, I think he's paused. I think he is paused too. Whoop! I heard a noise. I heard it. He's coming back. Coming again. All right. Yes. All right. I don't know what the hell happened. Kind of. Coming back. (laughs) There we go. There we go. All right. All right. You were talking about how you got bit by that scrub. It was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah, no, and he wasn't big. Yeah, no, he just grabbed me by the my inner thigh right there, and it was. Ooh, on the inner thigh. It was, yeah, it was. I was walking by him because so whenever I I've actually started using lids, even for carpets that are He's nippy. Put a riot shield. Yeah, no, I use <laughs> lids for shields, so I can just like if I don't need to change their paper or anything, because I keep a lot of my carpets on paper. Mm-hmm. I'll just if they're because they're always up on their perch and they're locked and loaded up on the perch, so I'll just stick a lid right in front of them, reach down, grab the water dish, change it out, and it's fun. Yeah. You know, it works out perfectly. So I was I use the shield for the scrub because he's in his, he's in a tub, and I I'll use the lid to kind of block him. And I thought I was walking far enough away to change, to dump out his old water because I took like a kind of a wide loop and that sucker just reached all the way out and <laughs> nabbed me right on the inner thigh. And it, oh, oh God. Lucky you didn't get your manhood. Uh, yeah, no, he wouldn't. It was more towards my knee, so he had a little bit more to go, but... Uh, it was, I have tattoos uh, on, the, on the inner thigh and that's a sensitive area. Yeah. No good. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was... Yeah, it was not fun. I had a bruise, legit, probably like that big at the end of the day it ended up bruising all around my leg i was like what the heck damn nuts he had he had a perfect jawline of where he bit me you could see like the top all the little teeth marks all oh, that's over. cool those are the yeah, good ones oh yeah those are the best <laughs> but. but it does seem to me that they're at least within the last maybe three or four years that i mean we were kind of touching on it earlier but like it seemed like there was an influx of people getting scrubs. And like that was sort of the we were riding the wave up and then we got to the top and then all of a sudden you see a lot of people getting out of scrubs. Mm. And so it was like, I wonder if it's one of those things where they were kind of romanticized in a way to be something that they're not. And people were like, man, those are really cool. I'm going to get one. And then they get one and they're like, this thing sucks. And then they're like, I got to get out of them. And so it's like, do you, am I right in thinking that that was kind of the case with them. Yeah, I, I would say so. I think that people have an idea of what it's like to have a scrub and uh, don't really realize until they get one. And typically they don't just get one, they get a few mm-hmm. and they build up a little collection before they really realize like, maybe this isn't totally for me. Cause I mean, if they're not for you, that's fine. Like they're, I get it. They are not for everyone. Um, but, uh, I think that there's kind of that thing of people wanted to maybe crack the code too. Yeah. like yeah. there is that mysticism of like, Hmm, I can be the one to figure it out. And mm-hmm. then maybe they just don't like the species. So they don't care to figure it out or they couldn't figure it out, whatever it may be. 
Um, but scrubs definitely switch hands a lot. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's animals out there. Uh, Stephen Cush owns an animal that's 20 years old, I think produced wow. by the produced by the Barkers. And I mean, that's, that animal has probably been in 15 different places. I imagine like in 20 years, um, but still kicking. So, I mean, they can, they can do, they can really thrive and do great and live a long time. If you, if you do it right. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, no one really seems to be into them for, I mean, even David means is a guy that's come in and out a couple times with them. Um, but he also came in and got 80 to a hundred scrubs and then that kind of can get a little a little much but um i think we just need a couple people to stick in it um long enough to kind of push it to that next level to where we can take the pressure off importing and then those prices can kind of figure themselves out but at this rate i don't even know what's going to happen yeah who knows when that's going to happen yeah because i mean if it's going to follow the green tree python thing um then maybe going forwards imports will still be 800 bucks for import mm -hmm. scrub and then the captive born breads will be i mean we saw uh the moluccans uh those class Olympus that came out um i saw them going or I, I don't know if they sold for the 7500 um per animal or i think it was per or maybe it was a pair like captive bread yeah uh marcel hawkins um but i mean they moved it seems like he moved all the ones he wanted to uh but if that's going to be the the theme for a while then uh it really might affect who gets into it, it might really cherry yeah, yeah. popular people um but i don't know i think that they're to me they were just the uh the outcast snake like i'm always kind of the the kind of guy wants to i mean growing up i mean i played i've played drums and metal bands since i was a kid like i just always wanted to be a little different to me scrub pythons are kind of like the metal head snake oh, they <laughs> like, absolutely are yeah and, and so, yeah and so uh i was just really drawn to that and um that dragon head that they've yeah. got is just for me, they take all the boxes on what I like in a snake. Um, but I totally see why a lot of people maybe get into them and then get out. I mean, they do have like a regalness to them. Like even yeah. Jake's, you know, his isn't massive, but it's still like seeing that thing just come out of the tub and like square up and is like no fear, but completely dialed into what's going on. And it's just an impressive, like they're impressive animals and especially yeah. big ones. You know, it's, it's like, that's, yeah. They're that's a snake that means business man. they can be very like the, they can be very intimidating like i think that's a thing with you know people is you know they they have this dream about scrubs and they get they get some they get a big import or something like that and like that's that's an intimidating snake like a big imported scrub like i think it f your world dude like oh yeah that's, that's they're quick like that's the weird thing that separates them from like berms and retakes and some of the other stuff like that tannin bar i had i was not expecting that thing to move as quickly as it did i told, like, you, those dude, I told you when you got that thing i was like dude you watch it those watch ones are it. evil <laughs> tannin bars yeah. are the worst this oh, guy geez. was this man this guy was he's he was okay if i if i left him be 
he'd be okay. But if I came into the cage to do anything, he would, it wasn't even necessarily he'd start like striking at me or anything. Like, he'd just take like spaz out and start doing laps around the cage and fly. Deep. I don't know. I just, yeah, I was just, I was very surprised at how, how quick they were. I was yeah. not expecting that. No. Yeah, I've got some that are really flighty, and uh, so that's kind of like a whole because they try to, when I'm trying to put them back in the rack, they'll try to go up above the next level yep. and yep. off and uh, quick, and they'll grab onto anything. They're like Velcro, and they can and they get. Oh death. my god! Yeah, they'll get a death grip onto something, and then you're having to watch the head while you're untying yeah. their huge tail like off of a tiny little piece of they can grab yeah, onto yeah. the side of a tub no problem <clears throat> then you can't crazy. shut the tub and you got the head coming back out yeah, at you. exactly i was gonna say they grab some of them they square up you know like all right i dare you to touch my tail you know like yeah, yeah cleaning day for that uh, tannin bar dude it was like it was exhausting because yeah. it was like okay it's gonna take me like two minutes to get you out and that's no big deal and I'll get you into like a holding tub or something while I do it in about five minutes. <laughs> and then when it was time to put him back in, that was like a 20 minute process. It was like, right. Just cause he'd, he'd grab on the stuff and he just anchor himself to it and getting him off was a real pain. And then he'd spaz out and move to something else and grab onto that. And I was like, this, this is just, this is gross. <laughs> see, see now, now get 10 of those and have a really bad cleaning day and you can see why someone might get out of scrubs yeah no they're definitely i did i was yeah fu- i was fully intending on eventually finding a female for that one but where'd you get that one that one came from phil that was like a, a wedding present was it an import it had to be yeah i can't it's... remember what, where phil got it I don't, I don't remember, remember either, but it's with Doctor Wyman now. Yeah, very few people. I feel like Nick Mutton was breeding them for a while. Yeah, that was they just disappeared. That was yeah, one that that used to come in and was super cheap, according to you know talking to Harlan Wall. He's like, dude, we used to get those in all the time. They were you know like a dime a dozen, and then one day it was like someone just turned the faucet off. Like no one wanted them, no one cared, and they just disappeared. Yeah. And they they came in crazy too with like uh the exanthic patternless ones yeah. um and uh I I don't know I always thought those ones looked cool um and then they have like the just patternless bright gold ones I yeah. saw a couple of those going around but they were killer looking and they stay at a manageable size so I feel like I don't know Nick Mutton said that the babies were always psycho but if you could eventually get maybe F three F fours you'd probably start calming down a little. Yeah. It was a it was a good appetizer into what scrubs would be like for me, and that's when I was like, "Yeah, I'm good. Jake can keep yeah, these, you know, see, especially I, when they're three it, times this size." I don't have no thanks. I don't I'm have good. much of a desire to keep any more like the big scrubs. I may at some point I may end up moving my southern, but I would like some smaller ones, just like and because and that's only because I know me and I see how he is now. I can't really imagine him at 10 foot, you know, cause that's, that's a lot, a lot of snake, you know? So I would, I would consider, I would consider tandem bars or Waminas being on the, you know, semi smaller side, especially tandem bars. I, it was um, enough but... for me. I became disenchanted with them very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'll just stick to chondros, man. Like at least they hate me, but they hate me from the same place on their stick. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
I'm hoping that maybe some a lot of the people that got into scrubs recently realize they don't like them and start selling them. Uh, because that man, they are hard <laughs> come across right now. It's yeah, so few yeah. and far between. The even though I mean I'm probably good on scrubs. I have males and females for everything that I've got. I've got the I've got a pair of sarong, like sub adult, adult, the males and adult, the female is probably big enough to breed. Uh, she's like eight feet. Um, and then I've got the pair of Southern Meraki's, which are, I would guess they're about two or three years old, not three years old. Um, and then I've got three Highland types that don't know the, the Highland thing is really kind of, a another big yeah there's a lot, a lot of, there's of, the, a lot of yeah. debate in those being with, yeah. uh, with southerns and all this stuff and highland yeah. is kind of a misleading term totally in general because it's yeah. like the mountain range runs through the middle of the whole thing like highland implies that they're like high right <laughs> and once you're over that mountain range you're kind of not but not at least from from what i've seen and read so i, I don't know Right. So the future of breeding those animals, I don't exactly know what I'm going to do because they're all patternless. They're all bright gold, but they're all different. I can tell they're all something different. And right. so I think one of them looks more like a hypo patternless, like just Southern, like what you mm -hmm. call like a Meraki. But then right. there, there's two that have different shaped heads the existing really faint uh pattern is totally different than a meraki looks more of like um not quite oxibilish i feel like those have a little bit of like wild fish netting yeah not quite, yeah yeah it's, it's not quite favorite out of the scrubs those oxibles are freaking yeah cool. they're awesome so i'm not sure if she's uh one of those uh they have uh, another year or so of growing to do before i need to think about pairing them up so maybe nick mutton will come out with uh the paper or whatever he said he's working on i don't know he didn't give a time frame he just said that they've been working on reclassification or mm -hmm. reclassifying the genus so maybe that will determine what i do um i don't have a huge issue with crossing stuff of course it's not i'm not gonna I'm not going to throw any of my barnecks in with my Southerns or Waminas until I get a clutch of barnecks. Right. Um, so I'm going to try to stick to the locality stuff first because I have pairs for everything. It's not like, well, I don't have a female for this. Might as well just throw this one mm -hmm. in there. So I'm going to try to stick with that. But um, there was uh, someone, I think his name is Jim Weatherall. Um he keeps chondros um he had uh some weird crossed scrubs uh back in the day that were so wild looking um that it really made me it almost is like kind of how you're talking about designer stuff with green trees mm -hmm. he was i feel like on the start of something with a few animals that he had of like a cool um morph scrub mm -hmm. project um not that i think that's like a uh i don't think that's needed but it's definitely something that's cool um because regardless of if morph 
morphs i mean morphs come into scrubs all the time like whether you want to call we don't know if they're polygenic we don't know if the stripes or the patternless we don't know what those are and so um there's a lot a lot of naturally occurring morphs within scrubs um that kind of makes me look at the morph thing like they're not just broken genes like what a lot of people refer mm -hmm. to morphs as because how many exanthic uh clastolepis have you seen come out of the water i mean there's so many exanthic uh out there and marcel i mean half of his clutch were exanthic yeah, yeah. and so well tannin bars uh, too you know you have the yeah, three different varieties say, of those if anything in tannin bars the exanthics are more common I, I think i've seen more exanthic tans than anything else so uh, back in the back in the morelia python forum days there was I don't know if there is much validity to this, but there was a theory about the exanthic patternless tanabars on the reason why we started seeing so many is because they started um, basically building roads through the area where we were, where you were finding them, mm -hmm. gravel roads and whatnot, um, cutting down the trees where they, the exanthic patternless really blends into the road. Mm and blends into all the stuff that like uh so the society is that's growing around them with like all the architecture and stuff they're putting um building cities uh it made it so the exact the exanthic patternless animal was uh basically more, more camouflaged yeah yeah and so all the pattern gold ones on the road get picked up no problem by a bird or prey or whatever it may be that uh they very quickly the morph kind of saved some of those animals to where like morphs occurring naturally kind of can have some benefit um and they're not i don't know i think that there's just a lot of uh talk in the hobby about there's uh the huge dividing wall between purists and morph makers I think it's shrinking. You think so? I think, I think it's getting a little smaller. I mean, I mean, I remember it being at least in carpets, uh, you know, not that long ago. Within the last, I don't know, seven years or so, it seems like it's not as big of a conversation as it used to be, where people are kind of like one or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I don't know, just from an outside looking in kind of kind of view, but right. I'm a chondro guy. What do I know? <laughs> nothing. That is the most frustrating nothing. part of it all, though, is like there haven't been enough people that have gone over there, at least Americans, uh, gone over there, like really spent time there, looked at things, went to these different areas, like the different islands, uh, and seen these things like firsthand with some sort of decent evidence as to what what's happening like even and that's for anything with papua you know right like there's so many unanswered questions i think that are a lot of things that that we take as fact that that need validation of some sort uh and that's why i think we we all rely on like daniel natush so much for for that kind of stuff because he spent more time over there than almost anybody you know yeah uh and ari you know he's he's spend a ton of time over there too and so it's like we really only have to go off of what they saw you know in their time there right. so it's that's my thing is you know we talk about all the different localities and condros and it's 
uh, how you know how different are they really like what are we what's being looked at we're just it's almost going back to to like damn near like colonial days where someone would come to the americas and then they'd sail back and they'd tell everyone about what it was like and it's <laughs> it's like no one's ever actually going to go over there but we only have what was brought back story-wise mm-hmm. right it's a new frontier mm-hmm. supposedly daniel natush uh did a lot of work with scrubs and has a ton of locality information on scrubs he's kind of he's posted little teasers of where he's like tested people like take a guess yeah. where these, these scrubs are from um and so it's like he knows he's mm-hmm. he's got he's got some of that info that everyone's really interested in i have a feeling he's probably partnered up with some of the guys that are currently working mm-hmm. on the re i have a feeling that there's a reason we haven't heard about any of uh natusha's scrub stuff i think it's because it's still kind of in the works yeah yeah i mean if but, it's anything like the chondro study like he he got his hands on a ton of animals for that so it's like over a I thousand have, right yeah i have no doubt that that he's you know he's not gonna he's not gonna uh half-ass it with the scrubs either you know right but that's the genus that really needs it uh but we'll see if any i mean it's not like us knowing that information is going to make anyone breed them better like right, we still, right. still got to figure out how to breed them yeah yep. so i just out of curiosity how big are your waminas that your trio um, that are paired up so they're all around i would say seven the male is probably like a lean seven feet. Mm-hmm. I've got one female that's uh, a little more melanistic looking, kind of high black, that's a little bit bigger than him. And then I've got a female that, uh, to me, I'm pretty sure she's younger, but she's the biggest. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was the, she was about the same size, but she had a smaller head than the other ones when I got them two years ago. Mm-hmm. But now I think she's nine feet. Okay. Um, nice. and I really, I primarily just cycle feed. Um, I feed stuff hard in the spring and the fall, and then like not at all in the summer and winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she just in the two cycle periods that I fed her last year, she put on quite a bit of size, but she's not the one that's progressing. Um, as far as like the other one this slightly smaller one is building follicles more than the the one is the bigger girl so um i'm just hoping to get either of them to go but we'll see are you changing up as far as diet goes are you offering them sort of a a rotation of things are you keeping it fairly the same something leaner something fatter so breeding all my own rodents uh we breed mice asfs and rats um, I have, I feed everyone a good mix of all those. And, um, I've even fed those big scrubs mice before just like thawing out a huge thing of rodents had it some leftover, like, yeah, screw it. Let's see if they'll yeah. take it. And they'll, it's funny watching them eat something they can't constrict. Right. Like, <laughs> Watching an adult corn eat a eat a pinky or something. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like just gotta eat it. It's almost scary that they're gonna get impaled by the tongs. Like (laughs) right, yeah. 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 But um so I don't 
I was feeding chicks when I first got them. Um, but it's just because that was before my rodent colony had really taken off and there's a local guy, uh, selling chicks pretty cheap, but yeah, I pretty much just feed, uh, rodents. Um, I, with most of my carpets, um, I try to get them off of mice because as soon as possible, um, because I did have a couple that got stuck that really took some convincing to get them switched. Um, but the scrubs that doesn't seem to affect them. They'll eat anything at any time. Uh, they're good to go. Nice. The way I, the only way I've gotten, they've never struck me as picky. Right. Oh yeah. No scrubs. Definitely (laughs) not carpets. I've definitely had a few carpets that were strict mousers and it was, it's a pain in the ass. The way, the way I got my last one switched, I have my, I have a male. He's tiny, but he's my, he's my, he's the father to both my designated uh, both hitter. Yeah, man. <laughs> dude, he's great, man. He's a, he's a fantastic breeder. He's so small. He's so freaking small, but he's, he's great. Um, but he was a mouser for a long time. And so what I did is I gave him kind of an extra, cause I don't feed at all during the winter. And so I gave him kind of an extra long time without food after breeding. So he had, he bred and, you know, we got a clutch and waited a little bit longer to offer him food. And the first thing I offered him was a small rat and I knew he was hungry. So I just stuck it right in front of his face and he just went at it because it was hot and he wanted food. Right. And he just decided to eat it because it was the first thing I offered him. And that was the plan. Like, I wanted to get him on rats or at least to where he would eat them. Now he'll eat either one, but you know, I wanted to get where he would eat both. Yeah, yeah no, it was, it was the first thing I offered him after a long winter of no eating. He was hungry and God damn it. He ate it. So. Yeah. I keep making the mistake of like bringing mice into the room and still giving them. <laughs> Cause I just, I, when I leave the rodent building, sometimes I'll just take a bin, a couple bins of rodents, whatever. Like if we had uh, some extra mice, I'll, I'll take some mice home. Um, and so uh, I did make the mistake of maybe when I was making some progress, feeding her another mouse and then probably losing a little bit of ground on that. But um, I'm not in a huge rush to get her grown up. If she eats mice forever, I breed mice. So I'll just bring mice home all the time. But um, there's a substantial growth rate difference between her and every other carpet that I've got. (laughs) Yeah, I have I have found feeding like double of like the biggest mice you can doubling up on them. It does. It does make a difference. I had a female female IJ that um, just was was a strict mouser. There's nothing I could do to get her switched. Um, But I just started doubling her up on, you know the my jumbo mice and man she got she got beefy she got real big so yeah they can so i have a friend named uh, vito giannini he's uh mandatory morelia i don't know if you guys are he's super low-key um he used to breed chondros um but now he's um or for the past several years he's been a kind of a top of the line carpet morph maker here in arizona He's got like hypo. He uh, produced uh, most of the carpet site that I have came from him. He's a gamma guy. He's got a bunch. He's probably got seven gamma females. Um, but um, 
getting to know Vito and seeing his collection, I re it really opened my eyes how small some of these females can be to go. And uh, I think you have a, an idea in your head of like how big a carpet python is. Yeah. But uh, he, I bought a couple proven animals from him. And when he brought me one of the females, I was just like, no way. Like, this is proven. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah four, four years ago, proven. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? But, um, but yeah, they can be really small. So like a mouse or a carpet, I don't think is in this day and age with the yeah. knowledge we have, like we, we don't think that everything has to be giant to breed anymore. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm no, I don't worry about getting carpet switched over for me. Cause it's like, if they switch, they switch, you know, rats are fatty anyways you know i don't want them to feed i don't want to feed them only rats you know anyway mm -hmm. so if they'll take both great if they want mice you know screw it i'll feed them mice right especially the ijs you know some of your bigger stuff like brettles i wouldn't really want to mouse or brettles like at all mm -hmm. but you know an ij eh, don't worry about it you know like i've got a male he's like that male he's eight years old he's maybe four foot and that's pushing yeah it, you know like you can see a lump from an adult mouse on this thing you know he'll eat a medium rat but a medium rat is big mm -hmm. gotcha you know? and so he only gets that he'll he'll get one but you know that's a it's a good size meal for him but he's just he doesn't grow i got him on the rats he started slamming mediums and he still hasn't just hasn't grown yeah some snakes i mean i think they're each snakes are individuals where it's like some snakes that just want to eat and want to grow and grow and grow and they'll grow like crazy and other snakes they just don't seem like they have it in them like genetically it's just not what they yeah they, and, I, and i was gonna say i think genetics are play a huge role in it because i have my the female that um gave me my first clutch she's not with me anymore unfortunately um but um the female that produced my first clutch, she was probably four and a half foot, like Damn. maybe maybe a skinny five. Yeah, you that know? was not a big snake. She was not big at all. I remember, she, well, I remember when you of, got that clutch because yeah. I remember seeing the eggs and seeing her and being like, "There's no way those came yeah. out of that." Yeah, <laughs> no, she was she was small, like she was like, and that was, and I mean, skinny five foot, you know, like real skinny five foot. Um, but but she did. She gave me a perfect clutch of eight eight yeah it was eight. nice so and all of them all of them went full term had a great clutch of babies all healthy and you know i still have a female uh from her luckily very glad first snake i ever produced because she was she was the first one out of the egg so i made sure to keep her she was the first snake I ever hatched nice um but um yeah no but then i have females that are you know she was you that monster right yeah i have two that are massive i mean six and a half yeah. foot you know they're and they're huge they're as big around as my forearm you know mm -hmm. but they're the same they were the same age you know there's mm -hmm. a maybe there's a two-year difference in one but no matter it didn't matter you know they were yeah at that age at eight and ten years old it doesn't it there isn't there wouldn't be a size difference you know that exactly genetics they were eating the same food Mm -hmm. You know, it's just all all genetics in the in the play. You know, with the IJs, they're so variable. You know, you can have some that are just absolute diesels. I've seen diesel males that are five, six. I've got, foot, you know, I've got one. Oh yeah, <laughs> you've got one. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's He's just huge, absurdly big. Yeah, no, it's. I feel like my chondros are frozen in time then because <laughs> it seems like mine aren't growing at all. 
Like they yeah. just, they're like, I, I put food in them and they just stay the same size. Yep. How often do yep. you feed or do you cycle feed or? I don't cycle feed. I feed them like pretty much with, with green trees, unless it's, you know, a younger one or, or one in particular that I, I think should probably eat a little more so I can put some more size on it. I usually, if I can't remember the last time I fed them, then they're due. So I don't feed often. <clears throat> um, but I do kind of change it up and I, you know, I give them frog legs and I give them mice and, uh, we've talked about getting ASFs and stuff. I don't know We're we have to figure out how to source those. Casey Cannon needs to hook it up. Um, they are it. I, so my mice are not as enjoyable to breed as rats. Rats are definitely the best. But ASFs are way, way worse than mice. <laughs> Why does everyone <laughs> say that? We've oh, dude, man! Some people are ASFs, man. They're great. They're, they're, awesome. they're evil. It, like they will, <laughs> they'll charge you. The yeah, like they'll charge heard. from the back and they'll jump at you. And uh, screw that. So man. they're a little more finicky. Um, I like breeding the rats. They're uh. They're so hardy. They're good. They're good moms. Um, all mm -hmm. of our rats are so friendly. I've, I've never been bitten by a rat. But every time I clean ASFs, going to get bit. Or mice, too. Little baby hopper mice will bite and just hold on. You'd be pulling on their tail. Like, yo, oh, come dude. on. But um, but uh, ASFs, yeah. I don't enjoy breeding them. But I've got a, a guy that... Um, helps us out at the building that has a big ball python collection so we have a rack of assets just for him mm -hmm. so but how do those compare in terms of like reproduction because that was kind of the thing so we we breed our own but we're at a point now where we're trying to get numbers up so that we can get like exponentially ramp up production so that he doesn't have to buy frozen anymore like i don't have to like really pick and choose when and who i'm feeding uh so that i'm not cutting into the numbers and stuff like that but we've talked about getting like we've looked we thought about quail we thought about asfs and just something that we can that that produces quickly that we don't have to worry about which we don't really worry about the mice killing each other right now it happens on occasion but not that often i think we're fairly lucky but something in the meantime while we're trying to build up the the mice colony uh that produces sort of quickly and and that we can really use and i know asfs what i from what i've been told by people that are breeding them they're um you know they're really good moms they seem to produce a lot and often um, mm -hmm. yeah but, they have big they have big litters um i'd say you can you breed them pretty similar to how you'd breed um and keep the mice so mm -hmm. i think uh the two they also like it a little warmer so we in our building uh like even the asfs on the top of the rack do best compared to the ones in the same rack a few levels down so mm -hmm. they like it just a smidge warmer um but uh yeah we breed them the same way we breed mice where uh depending on the size of the tub we'll do anything from like a 1.3 to a 1.10 and then uh with rats we do maternity style where we run uh one male in a like 10 to 12 females in CB70s um, every 21 days, pull pregnants and load them into maternity individual tubs, uh, make sure they're having a good litter um, and they're good moms. So you keep them in the colony. You can call out your bad moms that way. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause me and Cody do that too with, with their rats. And I've always wondered what the benefit was of, of pulling and housing, you know, 
pair like two females or single females per tub until they they drop seem like a lot of extra work it it is extra work but it's a lot more reliable as opposed to having 10 rat female rats in a bin and just going and being like which one of you had babies because there's only three babies here so you're a bad mom eating Uh, okay yeah so you're sort of yeah it's collectively breeding in a sense yeah breeding for and also it's a good way to know like okay this mom's probably getting old because she Mm -hmm. was dropping big litters has now she only had three to six babies we try to only have uh if the moms have more than eight is kind of our thing eight and up is a good mom um but you can't really do that with the mice because they are temperamental and they will cannibalize and swapping them and moving them around uh Mm -hmm. messes messes with them a little bit Yeah. yeah, and so with the mice, it's kind of like set them and let them roll. Um, if if they're gonna kill, like if they're gonna kill each other, the adults will probably do it pretty early, like that among that introduction. And then if I found that cannibalism with the mice was kind of like a genetic thing, whereas like if one bin started cannibalizing, their babies would probably be cannibals too. And so if we saw one mom start cannibalizing, that whole tub would just get cold off. And we, um, but we haven't ran into any of that with mice in about a year. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty rare occurrence for us too. And it's, I think most of the time when we do see it, it's because I think we've mentioned it in previous episodes. It's a water issue. Like our water line got clogged or something or, you know, something stupid to where they were just, they were so thirsty that I guess they, they, you know, whichever one of the unlucky individuals in the group was the one that got to be the, the sacrificial lamb, so to speak. And they start going to the inside of his mouth. Yeah. Like, yeah, for the, they yeah. start licking the inside of the, another one's mouth or something for the saliva. Yeah, and then before not before too long, that one gets taken down. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, other than that, we really like, as far as females eating babies and stuff like that hasn't been an issue historically you know it's not a common occurrence like i get it it's very rare now at least in our group um but yeah it's like as far as like the groups and stuff go you know we have these two grow out bins and so once they're off the mom and they have a little bit of size on them we'll separate them into into one or two of the bins depending on how many we have and mix them up a bit grow them out uh and then we'll once they're adult size, you know, they go into one of the bins with three, two to three females per male. And, uh, that kind of just mixes things up a little bit genetically and, and sort of keeps things interesting. Cause it is one of those things where once they're, you have a group sort of together, you don't want to really want to change it up much. Cause in my experience, right. it hasn't, hasn't worked out very well for whichever one's new to the new to the gang. Same. Um, yeah. So once they're in group, I try to keep them, keep them that way. But I mix them up when they're young so that they're not all the same from the same litters going in together. You know, there is some sort of a variation there and that seems to work out really well when you put a, you know, a, a good amount of them together when they're young. Yeah. Then they're, the, sort of the territorialness and the, the competition factor seems to sort of dissipate. Yeah. Um, and then they're all growing up together. And it, so I find that if you mix them when they're young, you know, you, you don't have any issues as opposed to throwing in something new when they're adults and it's just, problems then if you got yeah. that one that's running around being a little asshole to all the other ones and you can just yep exactly take, take that little guy out yeah, sometimes there's the unfortunately like if i have a male that's bullying another male or something i usually end up calling the the bully 
yeah the bullier so <laughs> yeah that unfortunately that's usually the one that's beaten up and so i'm just like dude you gotta go sorry but, right you weren't tough enough yeah well yeah. that and they're usually they got you know they, they're wounded they got Mm-hmm. You know, they've got like almost look like mange because they're getting scratched up so much by the other male and the other male won't leave them alone and i'm like eventually you're just gonna die man it's like yeah. we're just gonna we're just gonna make this make this quick so yeah what kind of food are you guys feeding uh so we were feeding frm rodent pellet okay unfortunately our the local feed and seed that we were getting it from stopped carrying it uh and we've since switched to it's a brand of dog food that I get at Walmart. It's called Pure Balance. It's the okay. salmon blend, uh, and I like I'm I'm really weird about feeding dog food to mice. So when we ended up switching over to that, I read the label on pretty much every bag in Walmart to see which one was you know the best, which had the less of the the meals and stuff in it. Yeah, uh, and that Pure Balance for the price, I think it's like sixteen bucks for the eleven pound bag of the salmon blend. Okay. Um, that seemed to be the most legit out of all of them. Uh, and we've been doing that now for a couple months and I haven't had any issues with it really. Like everyone nice. seemed to switch over to it pretty well, but they also get a boatload of Cheerios. Yeah. Yeah. Honey, like not honey nut Cheerios, but regular Cheerios. Uh, they get some sort of grass or Timothy hay, depending on what's available at the time. Nice. Uh, every now and then I'll, if I have extra like sweet potatoes or something, I'll cut those up and give it to them. Uh, sometimes we get like a bird seed blend so we try to mix it up a lot so that they're not just eating one thing and we try to make sure that you know as far as like the dog food goes like i don't want that to be the main thing they're they're eating constantly like i, I give them a little bit of everything that way they're they're not all just eating the dog food and gotcha change it up periodically and try to just give them a little bit of variety so that you know the nutrition factor is kind of a big deal for me in terms of my mice so what do you right. feed yours yeah, what are y'all doing with yours? So, uh, we our primary our primary foods are Missouri Six F and then a cruise per, cruises perfection rat and mouse food. It's uh we didn't want to do just one type of food, especially with like the Missouri. The issue is there's like one supplier in Arizona, mm-hmm. and so. It's ex- it's expensive, but also it's like we don't want to be in that position of kind of like with your dogs, where if you're feeding a dog food and you switch over to a different food, their digestive system is a little bit like, oh, what the yeah, hell? Yeah. And so we don't want to have a scenario where we run out of Missouri and we have to hard switch them to another food. So we do a, a mix of Cruz and Missouri that way um, we have both those bases covered. If we lose one of them for whatever reason, they've already been eating the other food and they'll just switch primarily to that. And then um, we feed a lot of like cockatiel seed and black oil sunflower seed mm-hmm. and um, like rolled oats. Um, we I mix all those in a huge bin and then I go with the big scooper. And I do that because... Um, uh, specifically with the young like the pups and stuff when they're in the and like the weans when they finally start being able to eat their own food they're not quite able to reach the top of the rack very easily so i like to put all the seeds and stuff on the um every bedding change we put a bunch of those seeds on the ground that way the all the 
small stuff gets as much food as they need all all the little ones because the moms they'll go and they'll munch on it too but um the as soon as you put all those seeds in all the like uh the weans and the small like the small stuff um just starting to eat their own food they all rush over to it and they'll start going to town on it so uh we do that to make sure that all the young stuff is uh getting a nice uh nutrient rich diet and they grow quickly because we have a lot of rodents to move and we don't want to be like nursing along slow growers for a long time taking up tons of space so we got we have to basically move all of our um all of our males for sale uh at least like once a week right now otherwise we'll get overrun pretty quick um and we're in a five thousand square foot building but we um, we're waiting on our rack order to come in. And so we've got about 2,500 square feet filled, but we have 2,500 square feet that needs to be filled, but we're waiting uh, from all of our racks from ARS. So we've got like 15 or so coming. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I tried to find the ingredients for what we use and it's not available on the Walmart website, but it is a no grain. It's a grain free formula. Um, so no corn, no wheat, no soy, no grains, fillers, chicken byproducts, artificial preservative, preservatives, artificial flavors, or colors. Um, and it has like added vitamins and stuff to it too. And like I said, so far we haven't had any issues. Like my dad, when he bred mice way back when for, for the stuff he was keeping, uh, he would just get like old Roy or something and you would get just these big fatty knots on the adults yeah. after a certain period of time and that's why i've always kind of been weird about dog food for for mice um but this yeah. stuff seems to be pretty legit and this is the salmon the salmon blend so yeah that's good a lot of people out here uh feed doggy bag which comes from tractor supply i don't know if they have tractor supply where you guys live yeah so a lot of people out here feed doggy bag and uh based on what we have found that that same thing has you get like a couple like get a generation or two in and you start getting those fatty tumor whatever abscesses whatever they might be um so we just try to steer clear of anything that might might do that trying to stay because ultimately like everyone running this rodent facility are hardcore snake people and so we're just trying to produce the best possible rodents for us even though we are a commercial um facility or we're building into a commercial facility um like the health of rats is paramount because that's the health of the snakes and so um we are all we all have expensive snake collections we don't want to be cheaping out on the food and um so the missouri is expensive but so far um it's it's the least problematic and especially doing it on this big of a scale if we like all the other guys around here feeding doggy bag if our whole colony ends up with tumors we're kind of screwed yeah and, yeah and, and so um but missouri and i mean everything is getting crazy expensive right now the price of bedding yeah. is high but rodents in the pet shops are going way up in price like i don't know what they are locally where you guys are but we have pet a big reason why we got into breeding rodents is like we had pet shops li- limiting people one live rodent per customer 
Oh, jeez. Yeah. Could you imagine having 50 snakes going to the pet store and they'd be yeah. like, we have, no, we have no frozen, but we have live, but you can only get one. And it's like, it's several shops out here. We're doing that. And, uh, but it's hard to breed rodents out here. It's hard to breed rodents. I mean, anywhere, but in Arizona, it's hot and, um, cooling a building is hard to do when you have all the dust from the rodents. And so we had to go crazy with our AC units, um, state of the art, everything. Um, yeah. And, getting crafty on where we put the intake vents and stuff to make sure they're not sucking up too much of the dust from the rodent rooms and, and stuff like that. So it, it takes a lot of work. So it, it makes sense why no one in this state has really been able to um, kind of keep up with the demand. And um, because there's actually a lot of snake breeders out here and there's oh, yeah. uh, specifically like uh, we have a lot of guys that do boas and they might just be like Central American stuff or they don't get huge, but that's still like if there's a lot of guys like 200 boas, adult breeder boas out here and they can't get rodents. And so uh, there's for like as long as I can remember in this state, there's never been a good supplier that can consistently do it. Mm -hmm. And so we're just trying to be that thing that way. I mean, I know guys that aren't pairing up snakes they can't get rodents to feed the babies and so they have these crazy snake collections and they're like ah eh, well i don't have enough to feed up all my females for breeding season because i can't get rats right now and then right. if i do have all the babies what like i don't want to be irresponsible and produce snakes just for the sake of producing them so um yeah we're trying to really do it big um it's a uh, it's a lot of work, but it's it's very rewarding. It's cool seeing the whole project expand from something that started in a 16 by 12 shed in my backyard. Now mm -hmm. it's in a 5,000 square foot building. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going smooth. We're selling like every week and we'll go sell to a local uh, reptile shop. Um, and they are like, we can't get enough. Like, please, like, <laughs> like bring uh, more. Yeah. And so... We're almost at that point where once our all of our racks get here, we'll really be blowing up. And then if pe local people in Arizona could hit up, uh, hit me up for rats if they need them. The company's called Phoenix Feeders. Uh, pretty pretty basic, straightforward. But are you, are you guys shipping frozen thought or anything like that yet? Not yet. Um, we're gonna try to do just live because that's what because right now a lot of the pet shops will order frozen thought from Cold Blooded Cafe and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, because they'll order, I mean, a cold blood cafe, a small rat right now, I think is two ninety five. Those local shops will sell that small frozen rat for $7 for, God. yeah. And so they, even with just like buying rodents online, the shops can still make a decent amount of profit because mm -hmm. of the demand for rodents right now, but they can't get live anywhere. And so that a lot of people out here feed live too, because we've got a bunch of ball Python breeders, um i don't feed any of my stuff live um but uh that's like a huge demand out here so we're just trying to yeah. get that going um and pet shops like live too because they generally have racks in the back and they'll be like we'll buy all your smalls and then they'll raise them up to be larges 
um, for a couple weeks and then they yeah. can sell larges. So yeah, they like having live. For sure. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely been it'll it'll be really nice when we can get things to a, a high enough number to where yeah, dude. You know, we can just get what we need and I'm, I'm drowning. I'm trying to how many tubs are you guys running? So we have two racks of four and they're like cat litter pans that got discontinued. So when that happened, finding the, that same model, because I wanted two sets so I could just refill the new ones, pop them in and then take out the old ones and dump them instead of having to dump them, clean them, then refill them. Mm -hmm. um, so we have two racks of those and I usually keep about, like I said, one, one male to three females, maybe two females, depending but then we have two of the uh, two of the tubs from Reptile Basics. They're rat breeder, the biggest tubs, and we'll we'll grow out you know twenty or so in that until they're old enough. Um, and then we have another rack that my dad and I built that has concrete mixers that we haven't even filled up yet because we've been we hit a snag with production in the in like the early winter, and that's kind of set us back a good bit. So trying to get numbers back up to be able to fill that bigger rack and then really be able to ramp things up because i mean at this rate we're pretty much just trying to breed for to maintain our stuff mm -hmm. and eventually we would like to breed enough to be able to you know uh help out you know billy hunt and some of our other buddies and stuff and and whatnot so we're just trying to get there at this point yeah that's initially why i started doing it is because like just going and seeing the prices of, of rodents it was crazy so i was like i just want to be able to feed my stuff and so I started breeding um, in my shed. I like insulated it, put an AC unit in there, got a couple racks. And then um, it, I had a, a couple guys, Vito, actually, the guy I get my carpet pythons from. He was like, yo, uh, what do you think about expanding to like maybe I, at this point I was producing like 200 rats a month. He was mm -hmm. like, what, what do you think about trying to get to like 2000? I was like, uh... I don't know if I can in my shed, but I'll try. <laughs> and so I just started building racks and building mm -hmm. racks and building racks. Um, and then I filled up my shed and then I had a coworker at Guitar Center that I, uh, his name is David Weaver. He's one of the guys that runs the rodent place with me. I got him to quit his job at Guitar Center too and do rats. But um and walk out. Yeah, we, we love making everybody with me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're rat men now. But um, I filled up his garage with racks. And so we got to a point to where we were completely full, like to the brim and producing. We were selling like uh, 500 a week to the local shops. Um, so, yeah, we're producing like 2000 just rats a month between just our uh, my shed and uh, we, David's uh, garage. And I didn't. I didn't have too many plans to go past that, but Vito kind of convinced me like, let's go bigger. Like, yeah, I mean, huge, now's the time. Yeah. There's a huge issue with rodents right now. And so we, uh, buckled down, we got a plan together and started searching for a building. And that was the hardest part of this whole thing was finding someone with a space for rent. Yeah. That when you, when you have yes. 10 tenants come tell you what they're going to do with your space, you're going to say no to the rat guys every yep. time. Yeah. And so that was super hard. It took us like 
it, it seemed like almost a year to find a building, but we got one and now, uh, it's rolling. And, uh, we have people sending us inquiries of, uh, like how many rats they need a month. And it's insane. Like there's no way we will be able to keep up. So like, I think what you guys are doing is what most keepers out there I feel like should be doing, like try to get something set up to where if you're like super passionate about this and you love reptiles, uh, there's money to be made in rodents and it's not the, it's not directly like you're you're not a snake breeder, you're a rodent breeder, but you're working in the industry. And so I think that there's a lot of people that kind of talk about this industry like there's no money to be made. Um, but I think that's kind of maybe just lazy people try to like they they see the amount of work that goes into making it in this industry. And they're like, oh, no, nah, man, like you're gonna be working seven days a week. It's like, yeah, I do. But I go work at a rat building where I've got bunch of apodora and like i don't have to fit like it doesn't cost me anything to keep snakes Mm -hmm. and um i it actually helps pay for a lot of my snakes too yeah and and uh one if you're a rodent breeder um i don't do this because um rats are my are paying my bills now but if you breed rodents people are going to want to trade snakes for rodents <laughs> and so um you'll get all kinds of people trying to give you cool stuff um so I, I recommend a lot of people like start doing what you guys are doing breed your own breed your own stuff and you can sell off the extra make a little bit of mm-hmm. extra money and you can make this hobby pay for itself easy i haven't i mean i'm not even i have one clutch of carpet pythons in in the incubator i'm not a snake breeder but i'm i've been making money off this hobby by breeding rodents and meeting people and um, meeting great people that have given me great deals on snakes because of the rodents that I, that I have. And um, so it's one of those things where it's a, it's a weird thing within the hobby, but I think it's something that more people should be kind of interested in doing because it's going to take the hobby so much further. And it's going to help you uh, knowing that you're feeding the healthiest stuff yeah to yeah that's the biggest thing for me is is i know what's going in them you know i know like where they're coming from and i don't know i actually enjoy it i don't i don't know I do, I do why too. there's something about it that i get enjoyment and like fulfillment out of with you know seeing opening the tub and seeing a nice big old clump of babies and mm-hmm. going and doing something right you know it just <laughs> right I don't know. And we have like, it's such a small operation right now that when he and I go and clean, I mean, we're in and out in like not even a half hour. Yeah, It's like it's pretty quick. Nice. It's not a lot. So, so you guys could probably handle like 10 times the amount that you're running now. And it might take yeah. up a little bit of space, but yeah. you, you'll be able to sell like all that extra that you're not using and mm-hmm. it'll help pay for more racks all that kind of stuff so i think everyone should try to breed as many rodents as they can because at the end of the day you can throw them in the freezer and like freeze stuff for the Mm -hmm. future if you breed too much um it's hard work i guess but i mean rats and mice are cute and i love animals (laughs) and so it's like they're that feeling of opening a tub and seeing a bunch of cute little baby rats and like i I started my whole colony with pet rats. So I've got like hair limbos, like all kinds of crazy stuff where we just keep all the coolest ones. And we even have some with names. Uh, so we, 
we really enjoy the rats. And so, um, and it's cool because it takes pressure off me as a snake keeper and potential breeder. I don't need to sell snakes uh, because I get money in the hobby from something else. Right. And so, and I also, it doesn't, I can keep all the babies because I have no, I have a 5,000 square foot warehouse and I've got uh, the friends that I do this with have no shortage of racks, cages, and all that kind of stuff. And so I have space. I've got food. It doesn't, it doesn't cost me anything to keep the snakes. And so there's no pressure to sell them. And yeah. so I can, I can make whatever snakes I want, as many as I want. Um, I'll probably just end up filling up my friend's facilities um, pretty quickly. Um, but uh, for me, it's it's cool because I do have a little bit of a, I mean, I'm breeding a bunch of crazy morphs and carpets, or at least that's what I strive to do is make a bunch of morphs and not not everyone's into that, but that's okay. I don't have to sell any of those snakes. Um, so I'm making snakes for me um, at the end of the day. Um, so that definitely, it makes it, makes it so I can do what I want within the snake hobby without having to think of like, well, am I going to be able to move these babies? Like, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't need to move the babies. I can, I've got a lot of room. Yeah. You're more reliant on, on the mice and stuff to have to sustain things than. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I think ideally that's sort of the end goal we're going for eventually, but. We're just we're on the slow boat. Yeah, just hold back all the females. Don't don't call off any females. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I've been calling extra males, but those females, like we just went through over the last weekend, and it was like, cool, we got ten extra males. They're done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that buildup is slow, and I because I mean we're feeling it now, where or we've been feeling it at the at the building where we went in there with like a thousand breeders but now we're gonna have to fill like five times the amount yeah. of racks that we currently have so we have to have we're raising up. Fast enough. yeah it's like yeah. 10 to 12 weeks for and that's that's three months for mm-hmm. that's all of summer until your babies that were born are ready to roll rat wise mice are a little bit shorter but um but still it, it takes a while, but once you get there, it explodes and then it's madness. And you're like, just don't know what to do with all the rodents you got. And that's not a good bad problem. problem to have. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, that's I wouldn't you, be complaining. There's plenty of, plenty of freezer yeah, space. That's where you want to be. So before we finish up, yeah. what kind of drums are you using? <laughs> what's your, what's your brand? Tama. Yeah. My man. So, um, I started playing drums really young. My dad was a drummer. Um, started playing when I was like eight, nine years old. And, uh, my first kit was a Tama rock star. It was his kit. And my dad was like a bar drummer. And so I started out on a nice set. I didn't have to go through that, uh, that stage of like playing on crappy gear. Yeah. And my stuff. first set was Riding's Yamaha. Okay. Nice. Those is a cool kit. <laughs> Actually, like, you know, they didn't sound bad. They weren't, I mean, they weren't anything super high end, but I did eventually switch to, to Tama because I'm a Tama guy too. So, yeah. Yamaha is great musical equipment. It might not be the flashiest, but it's going to work and it's going to, it's going to do what you need it to. So I have no beef with Yamaha. Yamaha does everything it's right. It's the only, yeah. Exactly. I, mean, I, love, 
I love their motorcycles. It's the only brand you right. can buy a motorcycle, a jet ski, or a drum kit, and maybe a piano while you're at it. And it all, all great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all kick ass, yeah. yeah. But um, but yeah. So with drumming, uh, Tama has always been uh, like I've always played their pedals. I played mm-hmm. Axis pedals for a few years, but um, I've been playing Speed Cobra uh, double pedals. Nice. I've had a few few different sets for probably like ten years now um it's just like the go-to pedal for me um and mainly it's just because it's tama like i feel like any of those uh mid-range double pedals i can play um i can play on them all the same speed or whatever have the same chops but tama gear just like lasts a long time uh it's solid feels good i when i was on tour it lasted really well um yeah all tama hardware I'm not what a Tama endorsee. Bar shells. Um, so mine, uh, I play a Superstar Hyperdrive Maple Ooh. kit. So um, it's got the nice shallow toms. Mm-hmm. Um, I play my toms kind of flat and low. Um, so uh, I like being able to get them a little bit lower with the shallow toms. Um, but uh, yeah, so Maple is probably. It's what I've been playing the longest. If I had my preference, though, it'd be Birch Babinga. I'm a man. Yeah, I'm a Birch guy. That's what my my set is now, and I I've always liked the sound of Birch the most out of out of everything. What Tama kit do you have? It's a Silver Star. Okay, nice. I like I the Silver Star. I don't Star think kit. yeah. I don't think they make them anymore. But nope. I my freaking it was a great set for a great price at the time. You know, they were nothing super high end, but at the same time, they were sort of a nice intermediate. You know yeah in terms of build quality and stuff right i had a thomas star classic uh birch kit for a while which is a high-end kit and it got destroyed playing at shitty metal metal venues where they're like yeah go set your drums up in the gravel out back and it's like oh god and then someone carries carries my drums in and bumps it on every door on the way in so it's like yeah i'm not gonna drop more than 1200 bucks on a kit going forward like I can play the same on any any mm-hmm. kit that if I if I can sit down and tune the kit, I'm going to be able to play on it how I could play your most expensive DW kit. So for me, it's not I I just love Tama, but um, the gear for me, like I feel like is uh, it's just like a very small part of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, when it comes to being a musician, it's like guys that. Um, a really good guitar player will pick up your cheapest Squire Strat and shred on it. Um, but your entry level guitar player is not going to pick up like a custom shop Fender Tele right. and shred. Like yeah. it's all about, it's all comes from the hands and the feet mm-hmm. and your brain. And so uh, luckily I didn't get swindled into thinking I had to buy really expensive drum kits and stuff to be good. <laughs> Yeah, what kind of what are you using? With guitars, I never, I don't spend a lot of money on guitars. Right. (laughs) What are you using for cymbals? Minel. Minel, my man. Look at that once again, dude. Oh. Yeah. Um, I love minel cymbals. Um, Dude, they're so awesome. And uh, I, I, I've had an assortment of minel stuff. I've had the Byzance like extra dry stuff, Mm -hmm. and I love that. Uh, for when I was playing by myself, just like jamming, but they didn't fit great with my bands because mm-hmm. my bands are pretty heavy and those cymbals are really washy. So yeah. now I do the classics darks and the pure alloy 
um minel stuff and those to me they're crisp they're they don't break the bank mm -hmm. they cut through they last me a long time because i play with big sticks too um i'll play like at least with like a 2b mm -hmm. um so i'll and especially playing metal playing heavier aggressive music i'll go through symbols i used to go through symbols a lot like yeah. <laughs> I, I would go through a china symbol a month uh for a while but now i'm uh i'm not in the point of playing drums where i'm like training every day i was doing that up until like covid hit mm -hmm. but um now i basically most of my music time is spent writing music that's like my at the end of the day it's what i enjoy most in music is writing um playing shows is fun going on tour is fun uh but and even like playing drums is great but i love writing music and that's so most of my time is spent doing that i feel like i've got and as long as i just keep my chops up to play my stuff live when we do have shows i'm pretty good yeah don't have to stress too much but write music is where it's at for me nice what about you guys? So you guys both play music. Do you play in bands or anything, or have you? I have in the past, but nothing like serious. Yeah. No, I've just I've just grown up. I grew up playing guitar, and you know when I was you know I did stuff for like my youth group and stuff when I was you know going to church when I was younger. So I was big. I was more into it in high school. Um, more involved with you know guitar and music and whatnot. Ever since I went to college and graduated and been working full time, it's, you know, I actually just picked it up yesterday for the first time in quite a while. I hadn't played. And yeah, I'm starting to get back into it a little bit. I need to pick it up nice. and refresh a lot of stuff. I dabbled in bass a little bit here and there, but I would never consider myself a bass player. I've just sometimes I've had one and I'll just tinker with it and look up tabs and uh, the simplest songs and play those. Bass is cool. It's the, as i've progressed as a musician i've learned that bass is like one of the coolest instruments that no one realizes yeah like uh, until you find until you see a really good bass player play like you know until you see it and really hear like you know a metal band that has that heavy heavy bass mm -hmm. in their sound like that's when you really see like a, a really talented yeah bassist. well that and like, realizing what it adds to the mix yeah you know exactly. it's so subtle but if it's gone it's like night and day yeah yeah so i'm a i'm also a recording engineer and uh so i uh i'll record other bands and stuff and that is always the that's that besides the drummer like as long as the drummer plays in time if the bassist isn't locked your mix is never going to sound big it's not going to ever have that beef and i didn't realize the importance that the bass plays in the mix until i started recording and yeah. then you realize that no one takes the bass job seriously and so i would be recording so many different basses and they were basically just like guitar players playing a bass as opposed to like when you get a real bassist in there mm -hmm. you're like wow you yeah that that's where you're supposed to play like that's the pocket like yeah there's a difference between a guitar player who can pick a bass versus a bass player bass players like, and guys that play bass yeah yeah <laughs> exactly there, yep. there really is though yeah what style of music are you guys into I I listen to everything, man. I listen to a lot of metal as well, you know. Yeah, I I just like music, so I'll listen to pretty much anything, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, my playlist 
ranged a lot you know from light rock to heavy metal to more hip-hop and some some rap and whatnot i have been on a serious and the timing is really bad but a, a really serious every time i die kick the last like month okay yeah because didn't they announce they're done yeah they just yep they, mm-hmm. they broke up and i was like that was so, kind of when i started painting that i was like you know what i keep i had a, a, a girlfriend at one point that was that had a, on her ipod and i always never really paid attention to them but it wasn't until they broke up that i was like you know what i'm gonna check that out and mm-hmm. i was like damn turns it, out you like it. It. <laughs> they're really good I'm like <laughs> shit but i mean i'm a massive deftones fan that's okay them and gojira um ha- do you listen to the contortionist yes so that for me that's probably the band that has inspired me the most over the years mm-hmm. uh that drummer more than any other musician that drummer Dude, is he does a, some really wacky stuff oh he's so good he's yeah. so good um but like I, I really tesseract too so those two that's like really the style of metal i'm most into i would mm-hmm. say it was that progressive type stuff um growing up it, i was all about slipknot lamb of god yeah yep me too. The he- like heavy heavy um but skateboarding trash, became trash if it ain't thrash yeah exactly skateboarding became a huge part of my life and then um i got really into hip-hop and so mm-hmm. uh hip-hop actually really helped my drumming too mm-hmm. and i used to have a really poor opinion about hip-hop as a young metalhead which i feel like most <laughs> we all metal- did we yeah. all did <laughs> And then you find the hip hop that works for you and you're like, mm-hmm. wow, this is what I was missing. Like, it's not all just like I don't love all metal because I love metal. A lot of metal's garbage to me. Yes. But yes, I yes. do love some metal bands just like in every genre. I mean, I listen. I honestly like Cardi B. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to Madonna like I'm all over the place because yeah. I've been playing music and listening to music for so long that I found different ways to appreciate music. Um, as opposed to just heaviness or technicality or whatever. Um, so I'm really all over the place. But my all-time favorite artist is uh, Aesop Rock. Yeah, I love me some Aesop, man. Oh, man, that guy. So I, I started listening to him when I was in like eighth grade. And I still in I still listen to his new releases. And I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. you're still blowing my mind. Like, <laughs> there's no other artist in the history of music for me that has ever done 10 plus years of music where every time I'm like, hell yeah, this yeah. is great. This is great. So awesome. Impossible kid was, that was an album I, I listened to a lot when the it came best, out. Oh, so good. I love yeah. that album. I used That's to work great. for Budweiser and I was a merchandiser. And so I'd have headphones in pretty much every store I went to. And I almost always had that album playing that and uh good kid, mad city. Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of my, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the, best rap albums of all time is yeah. Kendrick and uh just concept album wise it's really good but yeah yeah man it was freaking impossible kid was it was great I, I was so banger yeah I I started out so I'm like a repeater when it comes to listening to music and I every song on that album became a repeater for me at a different point where it's like the first song came on I was like this is so good like I just gonna yeah. listen to this over and over and over then the next song is like this one too mm-hmm. over and I just yeah. wore out on my Spotify top played thing it's always yeah. an entire Aesop album every year <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know that guy um he just he blows my mind like i just 
it's there's so much to dig into and i'm kind of that kind of guy who likes to dig into stuff i do it with snakes i do it with mm-hmm. i do it with drums um i can sit down and look at his lyrics and give my and tr- really try to break them down mm-hmm. over months over one song like the song gopher guts i don't know if yeah. you're familiar yeah. i spent i spent like weeks obsessing over that the lyrics in that song trying to like read online like try to really decipher and break down Mm -hmm. everything he's talking about and there's so much information and knowledge that that guy has that it kind of gets looked at as like gibberish because of the way that he lays it all out but there's just importance in every line that uh it just resonates with me i love that guy there's this one song that just makes me laugh now and it's because i'm getting older a lot of years Oh yeah, I, I listen to that song and I'm like, damn, that's kind of where I feel like I'm I'm starting to get to that point where I'm looking around and being like, these kids are fucking dumb. <laughs> right. Maybe I've lost the plot, if not the passion for the yeah. novel. <laughs> <laughs> um, Blood sandwich. Oh great, yeah, that, that's a great super, song. That whole album is just cell. fantastic, dude. Yeah. 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 yeah see, so uh, that dorks, that guy, Dork, probably that. one of the best on that album, I think, but. You know, yeah, um, just basically talking shit about all the other rap out there, calling yeah. them a bunch of dorks. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Aesop's the best. Yeah. Well, well, I could go on about musical night, so we're just gonna have to. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, I cut this one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, his head, massive attack. Uh, I'll shout those out too. I'm a huge massive attack fan too. Okay. Okay. There's three oh, yeah. bands I have tattooed on my body. That's Massive Attack, Deftones, and Gojira. And that's <laughs> nice. So. Um, I think actually Deftones and Gojira came to town here the other day. Yeah, I know. They've yeah. been playing a song that they never actually like fully released. It was on one of like the the EPs, like the single album for their self-titled, and they started playing that live now. And I'm like, didn't get tickets. Did they come but, through your area? They're playing in Atlanta next month sometime, but I don't. I don't think I'm gonna be able to go. So, gotcha. That's <sighs> how it goes when you're in. It is. Just watch it on <laughs> YouTube and live vicariously. Yeah. yeah. Well, pretend I'm there. But uh, where can people find you, man? Yeah. Um. So, uh, I primarily, I'm really low key when it comes to social media. I've really only post on uh, my uh, reptile Instagram, which is Chambers Serpents. Um, I made that because I am a musician and I didn't want all my musicians friends to be exposed to snake photos all the time. So um, my other Instagram is just my name, TJAY Chambers. Um, and uh, I don't really post on there a whole lot. My dogs and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really post there either, but you can follow it if you want to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. So yeah, Instagram is about it. I'm on Facebook too, but I'm probably not going to. I don't really talk to people on there. I, I don't post. I might post in a group occasionally, but catch me on Instagram. Cool. That's where everyone's flocking to. It yeah. seems like Instagram where it's at. Man. That is where it's at. Definitely. This All episode right, was sorry. No, good. This episode was brought to you by blackboxgages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram. They currently have three of the XC18 cubes ready to go to ship. So if you're interested in any of those, you've been looking at them. They have some that are ready to go, so Mag message them. Up. That's right. Like, just ready to box and be put on a truck to your door. Uh, and then Steve Snake Shrine's Venom Hot Sauce. Please check him out as well. Facebook, Instagram, snake, uh, snakeshrine.com. SteveSnakeshrine.com. SteveSnakeshrine.com. Yes. So, 
We will see y'all Monday for Snakes and Stogies episode 120. And we will see y'all next week for THB 160. It is 160. Yeah. John Lasseter. John Lasseter. Currently, oh, which is kind of a big deal because he yeah. don't he don't do no, podcasts, he man. I heard I saw you put that in the other group in the group the other day. And I was like, oh. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. I guess him and, him and Chris apparently drank a lot one night, and Chris convinced him to uh, to do it. So nice. They're drinking buddies. So well, we're gonna have to have a solid lineup of questions for this one. Yeah, yeah, that's gotta be on our A game. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, TJ. It was a fun episode. Always love talking scrubs. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Yeah, man. All right, man. Have See y'all. Everyone have a good evening. Later.